Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. We are kicking off a series called Catch the Wind. And uh, the series is kind of birthed out of a vision that I... I kind of had this, uh, not kind of had, I had this uh, summer of, a, and you probably heard about it, I talk, I'm not going to get into it all, but we talked about it in that next uh, video that we did last week on New Year's Day, um, of a clipper ship out on a bay, you know, and it was beautiful and it was well maintained and all of that, and I had this voice in my head that said, that's life church, you know, it's, 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 it's got its act together, you know, we're doing things right, you know, and everything is shiny and polished. But then there was that voice of the Holy Spirit that said, but it is useless in the bay. A clipper ship is meant to sail at high speeds in the open ocean. And what it takes is for the sails to be lifted and for it to catch the wind. And um, that has been marinating in my spirit for now some time. And I just believe that it's really birthing into something that I just, I just believe this. I believe that God is doing something new and unique in 2023 for, for me personally, for us as a church, for you individually, God is doing something unique. And it's going to require one thing of us, lift the sails. Holy Spirit, t- send us wherever you want us to go. We've been praying, God, revive us. Set us on fire for you. Right? And so we're going to be talking more about that over the, the, the coming weeks, but also in the, in the next year, we're going to be really uh, encouraging all of us to, uh, to go further, go deeper, go higher, just, just go all in. Amen? Amen. You ready for that ride? Someone's like, yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, some of you might remember our dog, Zeus. We don't have him anymore. I've got a picture of him here. He was a miniature dachshund, and we called him Zeus. And uh, this is an old picture, and Zeus is no longer with us. I mean, he's, he's alive still, but he's no longer with us. This is my daughter, Caitlin, who now is 25 years old. So, so this is a few years back when this was taken. Um, Zeus, uh, we, after having Zeus for a couple of years, realized we're just not good dog parents, Christy and I. And partly is because I was raised uh, in Latin America where, you know, just dogs are never in, inside, I mean, at least when I was a kid, you know, yeah, we're just, their dogs are outside, the house is the human's domain, the outside is the dog's domain, and not just our yard, but anybody's yard, you know, was their domain, right? And so we weren't very good dog parents, you know, and he would escape, and neighbors would come and say, hey, your dog's out running around, and, and all of that. So finally, we, we put him up for adoption. We tried to find somebody that we asked around, and we found somebody, a lady by the name of Dina in, in, in uh, Waverly, and uh, she had just had a, she had a miniature dachshund that looked just like Zeus that had just died, been like with him for 15, with her for 15 years. And so when she saw the picture of Zeus, she was like, oh, I, ha- I have to have him. So she adopted him, you know. And I had these imaginations as, you know, as she's walking Zeus around, you know, and, and uh, neighbors look at Zeus, hey, I've got a cute dog, whatever. She says something to the effect, yeah, he's a rescue. We saved him from 
some really irresponsible family down in Corville. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I, I'm bringing up Zeus because I, one thing that, for the short time that we had Zeus, one thing I loved about Zeus is he was not made for a leash. Maybe no dog is or no animal is, but Zeus was definitely not made for a leash. He, he was like all about... I mean, there was not a bunny, there was not a squirrel, there wasn't some kind of bird that would pop, you know, in our, in, our, in our front yard right there that would not catch his attention, and then he was at the door. Man, he had to get out, he had to get out, he had to get out. He'd scratch on the door, you know, and then we had squirrels that knew, so we had this doors kind of latched. We had these squirrels that just knew. They were like, they, they were brutal, they were mean. They would like come down, they'd get all the way up to our glass door, and they're just like, Messing around and Zeus is just going crazy. Like he has, to, like these animals were bred for, you know, hunting and that kind of stuff, you know. And so, and so we finally, we, you know, we knew we had to take him out. So we got a leash. We got a really bad leash at first because it would, it was just around his neck. And, and when he'd see something, he'd run after it. I mean, he'd, it was full on, full running those little short legs. And he's running full on. And then he'd get to the end of the leash and his body, his whole body just flip upside down, you know. <laughs> Like, I, I, like, that happened the first time it happened. I kind of looked around and said, I hope no neighbor saw me. <laughs> Just kind of confirming that I'm not a very good dog parent, you know. So, so then we got him one of those harnesses, you know. And, and that one worked. He wouldn't flip or anything like that, but he could just tell. He, he'd see a squirrel and he'd try to run after it. And then he'd get to the end of the leash and be jerked back. And then he just looked back at me like, I don't speak dachshund, but something like, you better let me go. <laughs> I got some squirrels to hunt, you know. I've got some critters to go after. Why are you leashing me? <laughs> I, think, I think for some of you in this room in 2023, the leash needs to get cut. We've been um, in a season. Uh, I was having a conversation with Pastor Wayne earlier, maybe last year, at the end of last year or sometime, but talking about sort of the season that we've been in. It was been, it's been a season of disorientation for the church. Like somehow or another, the church, you know, when the pandemic happened and then we weren't meeting for services and then, and then we started meeting again and then there was all the bickering back and forth of what, should we, should we not, and mass, no mass, and all that stuff. And I'm not weighing in on where I stood on all that stuff. I'm just saying all that was happening and it was in the middle of some, some you know, terrible political season, which we're kind of still in. And then there was a... And then there was the throwing all the, 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 the racial tensions that existed during that time. It's just the church just got shaken and there was this disorientation that occurred. And I think the natural result of that disorientation is that we began to get very closed in. It's all about me. It's all about me being safe. It's about self-preservation. It's about, it's about you, know, you know, just focus on me and my family and just us three and, you know, the rest of the world can just go crazy, but we're just going to take care of us. And I get it. I understand where we've all been. But there's just something in my spirit that says 2023 is just going to be something different. The church was not, well, first of all, Jesus was never disoriented. The Holy Spirit has never been disoriented. Uh, the church, the true church has never been disoriented, but we as a people have been a bit disoriented. And God is calling us out of that.
And he's inviting us into something, something new, something different. I love the song Wilderness because I think it speaks to that. It speaks to this idea that we've been in this wilderness, but it's time God is calling us out of the wilderness. There's going to be these rivers in this wasteland that's going to take us into new heights and new places with Christ. And I don't know about you, and this is not in my notes, so I hope this message doesn't go too long. I don't know about you, but I am ready. Me personally. There are prayers that I am tired of putting year after year on my prayer list. The same prayer, Lord, do this, and then the year passes. And then the same prayer, Lord, do this, and the year passes. And then the same prayer. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for that to change. I'm ready for those prayers that get added to my prayer list this year, that in 2023 they become realized. God does the miracle. God saves the loved one. God brings back the wayward child. God does the miracle in our lives. He does the miracle in our church. He does the miracle in our community. I'm ready for that. And I, I know that many of you are as well. And so I just believe, I think it's just time. It's time for us to move away from self-preservation to actually looking outside and seeing the needs of people around us and allowing the church to be unleashed. Allowing your life to be unleashed for Christ. Now, let me tell you something, that's scary. I'm not a sailor, and I use the metaphor of this uh, clipper ship and the lifting of the sails and the open ocean, and to be honest with you, sometimes the open ocean terrifies me. And that could be, that's true, and I mean, there's, there's some respect to, ha- to be had there for that, for sure. <laughs> but here's the deal. I don't want to be in a harbor, I don't want to be in a bay and say, I'm scared of the open ocean, let me just stay here in the bay. I'm just tired of that. And I'm ready for God to do some, just greater things for us, Amen. And so there came this point for the disciples when they needed to be unleashed. And uh, like they were used to having Jesus around, but now Jesus is going to be taken away. And so in Matthew 28, Jesus gives them this unleashing commission. In Matthew 28, 19, it says, All authority in heaven and on earth and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the commission. The commission isn't stay home and protect yourself. And I'm not, I'm not belittling that. I get what, where we've been, okay? I was there too. All of us have been there. So hear me when I'm saying this. But the commission still exists. Go and make disciples. That is our call. That is the challenge that Jesus gives those early disciples and he's giving to you and I. And we don't have the option to say, well, you know what, Lord, later, maybe not now. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always <clears throat> to the very end of the age. So Jesus basically unleashes these, these early disciples, this early church, to change the world. This unleashing is depicted in the book of Acts. And what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we're going to look at stories in the book of Acts that kind of talks about ordinary people who basically said, I'm scared about it, but I'm going to still lift the sails. I'm not sure what the, where this is taking us, but Holy Spirit, I will do whatever you ask me to do. And these people did exactly that, and they went places they would have never gone in their own strength. And they did things that they would have never been able to accomplish in their own power. Because the Holy Spirit was leading them, was sending them. 
This is a church that did not hesitate to lift the sails and let the wind of the Holy Spirit blow them wherever it was sitting. <clears throat> let me make a little imp- a, a, an important point here, though. Um, this early church was not, you know, they, they didn't change the world by, by, you know, being a group of highly educated, power, politically powerful or connected or, you know, very wealthy people. That's not the group that changed this world. Now, we think that way. I think oftentimes the way we think is, is if I'm going to really make an impact, I need to be, you know, politically connected or, you know, highly influential in some, in some fashion or form or, you know, highly educated or whatever. And I'm not, again, I'm not, when I'm making these comparisons, I'm not saying that's bad, this is good. That's not what I'm saying. It's just clear that what you see in scripture here is something very different. These weren't highly influential people. This was a, this is the story of this early church was this united group of everyday, ordinary people coming together and saying, Lord, we don't know what we're doing, but we need you and we know that you will send us and we'll go wherever you send us. And they did extraordinary things for God. And I believe that that's what God wants to do for you and I this year. He wants to unleash you, unleash me. Does that scare you a bit? Maybe it should a little bit, I think. <laughs> I was, uh, yeah, I haven't really, this, is, this has been a very unique day, by the way. I've been a little bit all over the map. That's okay. Um, I, I was pondering today, after a second service, about moments in my life where I clearly remember hearing the Holy Spirit speak to me about direction and guidance and this posture of my heart of, Lord, I just want to do whatever you want me to do. And essentially, it was, that, it was me just raising the sails and, and, and just basically sending us in crazy directions. And I remember having these conversations with my wife and saying, hey, I know, I, I, you know there's this church in Leesville that wants me to come and this Puerto Rican church that they, they don't have a pastor and they want me to come and there's no salary and we don't, I don't know how I'm going to make any money, but let's go there. <laughs> and Christy's like, okay, okay, you know, and then, and then we're there. And again, I remember that moment where I felt like the Lord was just speaking to me and it's okay, Lord, yes, whatever. We're going to go to a place we've never been before in our lives, this country called Bangladesh. And that's where we're going to spend the next eight, 10 years of our lives. And we have a daughter who's going to get born there. And, and honestly, if, you, if I had calculated all of those things prior to saying yes, I would have probably said no. But I tell you what, now I look back. And I look back at those experiences. And I look back at those moments. And I look back of walking with the Spirit in those moments and God leading us in the lives that were touched and the lives that were changed. And I can't help it but say that God, where he takes us, where the Holy Spirit blows us, it is good. It is good. It's transforming. It'll make you a better person to lean into the Holy Spirit and allow the wind of the Holy Spirit to blow you wherever he wants to take you. And I believe that's what God wants to do with us. But I think the problem is that we, 
There, there are several problems. Obviously, there's a fear, there's risk. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks, talk about a little bit about risk. But um, <clears throat> I think another problem we have is that we feel, when we feel like the impressions of God, that God is saying, hey, I want you to do this, or I want you to step out, or I want you to, we have this sense of feeling unqualified. Like, I don't know if you do this. I have a little math equation that I can sometimes do in my head that what I do is I add up all of my inadequacies and then I kind of like multiply them by all of my mistakes in the past, right? And obviously, I, what ends up is this really ugly picture. And then I look at all the needs around me and I say, mm, I don't think I can do anything about that. Like, I'm not sure that I'm the person to make that impact and yet, God wants to use us. God wants to use us. As we kick off this series, we're going to look at the story of these two men, and it is today, we're going to look at the story of these two men, that they were not qualified, and yet God used them. He loves, he loves to use and unleash the unqualified. God loves to demonstrate his power in our weakness. I was leaned over to Pastor Wayne earlier, and I said, man, I'm a mess today. <laughs> and he said, well, I thought I heard somebody talking about God loves to demonstrate his power with our weakness. I'm like, I know, but I didn't really want to be the example of that. I want somebody else to be the example of that. <laughs> <You know? clears throat> but he does. This is how God works, and this is how he gets glory. It's because he uses us in our weakness. And what I want to do is I want to challenge us to step in to what the Lord has for us. He uses Peter and John, and Peter and John were not qualified. I mean, if you look at their stories, Peter was, you know, he just had a knack of saying the wrong thing at the wrong time all the time. In fact, there's a moment in, in, in Peter's life during the, God, if you read the Gospels, there's a moment where Jesus himself has this look at Peter and say, Satan, get behind me. Like he calls Peter, the devil, right? Get behind me. And then there's John. You know, John is, was kind of an interesting guy. Before John meets Jesus, John has these anger issues. So much so that his nickname was called Son of Thunder. It's like not the name that, you know, a nice Christian boy would get is Son of Thunder. Son of Thunder stands more, it's more like a, you know, a call sign for a guy in a biker gang or something like that, Right? And so John, John is this way. He's got anger issues, right? But then John gets in proximity to Jesus and, be, and before long, he becomes more and more about love. That becomes the theme of his life. It's all about love. If you read the gospel of John, it's just, that's what you get. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. This is John writing. There's this place, there's this story in the gospels where the, the disciples are traveling through. They're doing this itinerant ministry and, and they go to this village that rejects Jesus and John asked, John and his brother asked for permission to call fire down from heaven to destroy this village. Like, Lord, let's just do it right now. They reject you. Let's burn them all. <laughs> right? Jesus is like, nope. <laughs> We're not going to do that. That's not the way. That's not what I came for. It was just basically consume everybody that rejects me. Right? I mean, he has this uncontrolled emotion that he's convinced that these people must die. And yet, as time passes, God does this amazing work in John. That by the time you get to 1 John and 2 John and 3 John, the theme of his life is love. Love, right? 
If you looked at John's resume, you would quickly con- con- you know, conclude that he wasn't qualified. And yet God unleashes the unqualified. That's the way he is. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at Acts chapter 4 real quick. Um, and uh, we're going to start at the end. And then we'll kind of go back to the beginning of this passage and then work back towards the end again. Um, in Acts 4.13, it says this. It's John and Peter, they have this moment where they're standing trial before the religious leaders. And this is what these religious leaders realize. It says, they realized, they realized that they, talking about John and Peter, that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Okay, that's the realization that they come to. They are unschooled, ordinary men. Now, this Greek, the Greek word for ordinary is a word, idiotis. In Spanish, we say idiota. I mean, you speak Spanish here, idiota, you know, you understand. That means idiot. It's easy, to, it's easy to see right here, too. That's what the word is, right? It didn't necessarily have that connotation back then. It was not like an insult connotation, but it did, meant, it did mean ordinary. It meant simple, right? It was a little bit pejorative in that, in that if you were called idiotes, it meant that you were just not very educated. You were just simple, maybe simple-minded, right? And this is what they conclude about Peter and John, is that they're just simple people. It's, it's crazy. And essentially what they were saying was that they were unqualified. They just did not have the goods. They didn't say the right things. They didn't talk the right way. They had a weird accent, Galilean accent, that just wasn't very, It's kind of a, Village accent. They just were unqualified. <clears throat> I think about some of us and some of the unwords that make us feel like we're unqualified. Maybe it's not unschooled, but maybe it's untalented. I've got a list here, actually. Maybe you feel untalented. Like, I wish if I could play the guitar or the piano like Josh, maybe I would be on stage. But you know, I just don't have any talent, so. Uninspiring, unprepared, uncertain, under-resourced. You know, if I just had more money, if I had more, more you know, things around me, more things going my way, maybe, then maybe God would use me, but I'm feeling under-resourced. Unattractive. This one here, I put this here, and I just th- thought instantly of, of sometimes where somebody has this self-image where they grow up from very young, that image can sometimes get deposited in a person's mind very young, at a young age. You're just not very pretty. You're not very good looking. And it just gets in their mind, and that's how they navigate life. And what, they, what you end up finding is an adult who likes to be in the shadows all the time, just hiding because they feel, they don't know this, they're not saying that, it's not an actual word that they're using, but they feel inside of them that they're just unattractive. And maybe that's what keeps you from actually stepping into what God wants, unemployed, unessential, unequipped, unworthy. This one here really speaks to me because um, I, I get up here and I preach on Sunday mornings and I sometimes walk up here and I just don't feel worthy. And I have to remind myself, I'm not worthy, but I have to remind myself that I am made worthy by Jesus and what he's done for me. Other words like unequipped and unprepared, those, those, I, I resonate with those. These last, I talked about this disorientation that we've been in in the last several years. I recognize that. And I can't tell you the number of times I've woken up in the morning on, during this past three years where I've woken up and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing. 
Like I'm expected to get up and preach and lead a church and lead a staff and say inspiring things, but I don't even know what to say. I have felt very unequipped and unprepared. I have felt unqualified. Our tendency when we feel unqualified is to try to convince ourselves, no, 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 Rich, you are qualified. No, you've got the talents. But really, that's not the answer. The real answer is recognizing that we are unqualified, but then through Christ, he uses, he unleashes the unqualified. He uses the things that are despised of this world to confound the wise. That's what he does. That's the way. And the reason he does that is because in the end, he gets the glory. And you understand that because you've seen people maybe in ministry or doing some task or whatever, and you look at them, you're like, I would have never expected them to do that. And yet, they did. And you step back and you're like, okay, I guess God, you are real. I guess God, you are really doing this, right? So this story of, and I'm going to try to go through quickly through this because I've been spending a lot of time, but this story starts with compassion of Peter and John. It starts with compassion. In Acts chapter 3, verse 2, it says, Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gates called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg for bread, to beg, sorry, from, from those going into the temple courts. <clears throat> so he's there all the time. Verse 4, Peter and John are walking by and says, verse 4, so Peter looks straight at him as did John. So Peter notices him. Now what's interesting is that Peter and John probably have walked this way many, many times. In fact, Jesus has walked this way many times. And there's this beggar here who every day has been put there to beg at the gate beautiful. And yet this time, they notice him. Even Jesus, I mean, most of the time, you know, in a culture like this where there's begging was part of the whole culture, these people are just furniture. They're just there. You don't ever notice them. You just kind of walk by, you see them. Yeah, they're always there. If you had a little bit extra that day, you might do something, but they're just always there. But this particular day, they notice him. They see him. It says they stared at him, glared at him, noticed him, saw him, right? Like it's the right time to do something. It's the right time to speak to this guy. It's the right time to do something for him. And I know as we move into 2023, now is the right time for us to be living this way. To start noticing the needs of people around us. To somehow or another get away, get away from the self-centered focus, the self-preservation. And I know that's hard. I don't, I, please hear me when I say this. My, I, I mean this. I'm not trying to be unsympathetic or, or you know, condescending when I say this. <clears throat> I get why we do that. But you have to hear me, this is not the answer. It's not the solution. Self-preservation, we don't ever save ourselves. Right? Self-centered and doesn't actually net in real happiness. But when we start looking outside of ourselves, we start seeing the needs around us and we're moved with compassion, we can touch the world. And True, true happiness can be found. Let me say it this way. A spirit-led church is made up of ordinary followers of Jesus who show extraordinary compassion. A spirit-led church is made up of ordinary followers of Jesus who show extraordinary compassion. As much as anything else, when followers of Jesus show compassion, it unleashes the church. 
uh, during, between second and third service, somebody walked up to me and they, they, they were listening to a podcast. Uh, and I, I don't know, I'm going to go back and listen to it, but they were listening to a podcast and they told me, they said they couldn't believe what I was saying about compassion. This podcast is called Freakonomics. And they were saying the one, the one equity out there that the world is hungry for is compassion. That there's somewhat of a drought of compassion in the world that we're living. And what's really bringing true happiness, what's really bringing true reconciliation, what's really bringing true people coming together is people showing compassion to one another. Peter, what Peter and John do is they basically heal this guy. Verse 6 says, and Peter says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. The guy gets up, he starts walking, he starts praising God, and people are freaked out by it. They could not believe it. They're like, what in the world? We've seen you here. Every day you're lame, you're lying here, you're begging, and then they take you home every single day, and suddenly now you're jumping and praising God. You're walking. God has healed you, and this sets a platform for Peter and John to basically preach the gospel. Here's what I want to say about that. This act of compassion led to a miracle that gave the gospel credibility. Suddenly, Peter and John are able to preach a message, and people are willing to listen because this happened, and we need to be about that in 2023. Amen? We need to be the church that says, God, we want you to move in this place. We want you to restore relationships. We want you to restore bodies. We want you to bring healing. Man, I can't wait to start hearing more and more of healings of people from cancer. As God does that, it's God that's doing it, right? It's the move of his spirit that's making this happen. As God does that, you know what happens? Suddenly there's this platform to get up and say, let me tell you what God is doing. Because it's God who's doing it, right? And that's what we need to be about in 2023. Acts of compassion bring credibility and create opportunities for us to connect people to Jesus. Now, in verse 4, it says, man, I'm kind of jumping past here, but in verse 4, it says, many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So this miracle happens, this compassion, it started with compassion, this miracle happens, and now there's 15 to 20,000 people who now are following Jesus Christ after that, right? Second thing I want to say here is the spirit-led church is made up of ordinary people who speak with courage. That's what we see that Peter and John do. They get up and they start speaking with courage. And verse one of chapter four says, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. So this, let me give you a little context. This miracle happens. They start, you know, the, the guy's healed. They start preaching the gospel. People start believing. And this creates a stir. And the religious leaders get a little bit of, you know, offended about, the, about this. So they come in to investigate, Right? while they were still speaking to the people. These are the same people responsible for basically trying Jesus and putting him to death. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus, in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So among this group that came to arrest these, these apostles were these guys named the Sadducees. They did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. They believed that you died, boom, you're done. It's over. And so, but... Peter and John are talking about the resurrection of the dead, Jesus being raised back to life again. And so it says they seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. What you see here is that Peter and John begin to speak 
God does a, a, a miracle in their life and heals this, this beggar, and now they just be, begin to speak with courage. Now, here's something that we need to understand. <clears throat> I realize that some of you might pers- subscribe to this idea that your faith is a private matter. Like, like you know, you don't want to create ruffles at work. You don't, and I, I get it. I don't think that you should be intentionally, you know, being the person nobody wants to talk to at work. That's, that's not a good idea either. I realize that. You don't want to do that. You've decided that you're just going to keep it to yourself, you know, and maybe if an opportunity arises, you might say something. But the days of not speaking up are over. In fact, they never were. In fact, I would say it's unkind for us to have this treasure of great price and then hide it. Say, oh, I can't talk to you about it. (laughs) No, no, no. I don't don't want you to get upset about this thing that can actually bring true hope and peace in your life. So I'm going to hold on to it. God is calling us to start speaking with courage. Notice what Peter and John do in verse seven. It says, they brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power and whose name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, the language that we're using here, we're lifting the sails. God, fill us with your spirit. Holy Spirit, blow through this place. We're just gonna lift the sails and go. Said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Like, really, are you questioning us? Are, you, are we here because we've done something good for somebody? And so he asked this rhetorical question. Do you want to know how he was healed? Like, he's going to answer the question no matter what. But, and maybe they weren't actually asking that question, but he's going to answer that question, right? And he says this. Let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. And just in case you don't remember who this guy is, Jesus Christ of Nazarene, it's the guys that you crucified. First, because it goes on. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone of the builder's rejector has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. When I read this text... And I think of who it is, it's Peter and John, the idiotes, (laughs) right? The ordinary guys speaking to the religious leaders of the country. You could feel the courage rising up inside of them. You could feel it. You could feel that they were pulling all the stops, taking out all the stops. They were just going for it 100%. It's time for us to speak with courage. And then it comes, brings us back to this last verse that we started with in the first place. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Let me just say it this way. The spirit-led church is made up of ordinary people who spend time with Jesus. I'm not sure if I've been able to convince you that all that, that list of unwords that I put up here really don't matter to you. Like you still might walk out of here and feel unattractive or unworthy or whatever. But they don't. Because Jesus will use you in your unworthiness. He will use you, use you in your unessentialness. 
He will use you in your, your sense of being untalented. But there is an unword that I think tends to keep us from doing anything for God, and it's the word unavailable. Unavailable. When you read the scriptures, you see it's just full of stories of people who God used, ordinary people that God used in extraordinary ways because they were available. Because they said, here, my Lord, send me. I'll do it. I don't know how, but I'll do it. And God used them mightily, powerfully. But I think the one thing that will keep us leashed up and not really being unleashed by God is when we say no. Or maybe we don't say no. Maybe what we say is no, not now. Right? My challenge for you this year is to surrender that. Amen? Let's all stand. We're gonna come to a conclusion here. Um, Nothing will keep you more not used by God. That's a lot of negatives, so I don't know if I said said them right. I'm not trying to say that God will use you this way. I'm saying you will not be used by God more than anything else if you say things like, I just don't have time for a small group. I'm too busy to be on that serve team. I mean, I see it. I see it every weekend. I see the kids back there and so many kids and I know that they're probably needing workers back there, but I'm just too busy. When you say that, when that's the posture, what happens is you handicap your ability to lift the sails and let the wind of the Holy Spirit blow you in places. Listen, there is a preferable future for you. God has. And you may not know it now. You may, you may be striving to try to get to it. You may try to figure out what is it that God wants to do with me. I don't know. But I guarantee you that in God's mind and heart there is this preferred future for you that is something you have never even had the capacity to dream about. And the only way you're going to get there is when you lift the sail. Say, Lord, I surrender. I surrender. Not my will anymore, not what I want, not the things that I demand, not focusing in on self only and forgetting about the people around me. Lord, I surrender. That's the decision that we need to make, the choice that we need to make today. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> um, our prayer teams are here, left and right. I want to encourage you if you're, if you're here this afternoon, well, it's afternoon now, I guess, um, and... Um, you're wrestling through decisions, you're wrestling through challenges, maybe there's the need for healing in your life or there's a need for, for just salvation. You just wanna basically just be more committed to Christ and you feel like you're floundering in that. We have prayer teams here, they'd love to serve you, they'd love to pray with you, so I encourage you to step out. But here's what we're gonna pray. We're at the, our collective prayer today is a prayer of surrender. And I'm, I'm leading that. I'm, I'm I'm going to do my best as Rich Green to say, Lord, I surrender to your plan, your will, and your purpose for my life. I know I have designs. I've got master's degrees on strategies on how to build a church. (laughs) 
But God, I want you to build this church. I want you to make this thing happen. And so, Lord, I surrender. Amen? And maybe if you could pray that for you, whatever it is that you need to surrender, whatever it is that you're holding on to because you feel that there's security there and it's something that God is saying, it's time to let it go. And surrender to me. Amen. Father, we just want to thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place. Holy Spirit, I don't claim to know or understand everything that you're doing. I know that you want to unleash us as your church, not because we are special, not because we are unique, not because we're well-positioned or anything like that. You want to unleash us because we're just ordinary. Many of us unqualified. But you want to unleash us into this world so that your kingdom, so your fame would be established more than ever before in this community, in this state, in this, in this country and around the world. God, you want to use us to unleash the full force of this church to change the world. So Father, we surrender. We surrender our plans. We surrender our purposes. We surrender the things that we think is right. And we submit ourselves to what you say we need to do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 As I said, we have prayer teams here. Left and right, I encourage you to step out um, if, you, if you like prayer. Otherwise, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. We'll see you next week. And don't forget to join us in this collective 21 days of prayer and fasting that we're going through. Amen. God bless you guys. See you next week.